on the Empire Podcast this week, we're very much Team Cap, mainly because Chris Evans' star of Captain America Civil War drops in, and we're also Team Former Hulk, as Eric Banner pops along to talk about special correspondence and Top Gear. Plus, all the usual movie news and nonsense on the podcast that this week will answer the big question, which is better, Citizen Kane or Die Hard? Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Yes, three colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our resident geek queen, a lady who isn't just about binging supernatural box sets. She's seen both Citizen Kane and Die Hard. You'd think that would be a normal thing for a film critic, but apparently not. Anyway, it should be a condition of the job, Chris. Yes, yes. it should, Helen O'Hara. Uh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are I you? think I just mangled your name possible. I went Helen O'Hara. Helen O'Hara. Oh my God, you self-hating Irishman. Helen O'Hara. When did you first see Citizen Kane? Uh, I mean, it's it's probably been 20 years or, or more, hasn't it? I mean, you have to watch Citizen yeah. Kane, don't you? Like you have to a watch. long time ago. You have to watch. Here's the two films you have to watch as a film journalist, I think. Yeah, just two. Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Die Hard. And die, not necessarily in that order. No, you could reverse I'm it. I'm just saying that you have to watch Citizen Kane and Die Hard. If you don't, then you are lacking in some way, not only as a film critic, but as a human being. Yeah. All right. So uh, next up on the <laughs> podcast is uh, the editor of the Empire website. Let's just put it this another way. This man edits a film website uh, for a living, and yet he hadn't seen Citizen Kane until just a couple of days ago. His name is James Dyer. Hello, sir. Hello. Shame. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Helen is as we speak. James Dyer ringing a bell yep I've shaved James's head and everything yeah <laughs> I'm walking naked through King's Landing don't don't, don't. no that's, that's bad so James hadn't seen Citizen Kane uh-huh. and um, I'd like to also introduce Emma Thrower who emerged in this very very podcast about what three four weeks ago yeah when James Something shamed like me to an amazing Shame. extent Shame. you had not seen Die Hard the greatest action movie of all time certainly the greatest one made in 1988 and you hadn't seen that he hadn't seen Citizen Kane. So you made a pact on the podcast. We did. Yes. You would each remedy that. James watched Citizen Kane when? Uh, last week. Last week. Okay. And James just watched it. He just he just got the DVD or the Blu-ray or he found it on Netflix or whatever it was. And he just watched it. Emma, this week, <laughs> watched Die Hard for the first time. But you did so in a way that I find incredibly inspiring and, and truly admirable. Can you explain to the listeners what you did? Yeah, thank you. I decided that... Seeing as someone had sent me a Blu-ray in a very threatening way to the office to make me watch it, I thought, I know I need to watch it, but I'm going to make you guys pay to make me watch it. But not to my own pocket, don't worry. I thought I'd raise money for charity, which has gone down a lot better than I thought. There's 609 minutes in all five of the Die Hard films. So I said a pound a minute, that'd be great. But we're now at over £1,300, so yeah. I don't really know. Um, I'm running out of films. But, <laughs> yeah. um, You're exploring the siege genre, aren't you now? I am, yeah. Empire's sort of Die Hard in a thing. So mm. I'm currently, what is it, six minutes into Assault on Precinct 13. So it's so. a pound per minute of screen yeah. time for each film, and you've gone yeah. past the five Die Hard films. Yes. Now you're into every Die Hard on a, or in a, or under a, or on top of a yes. type movie. Yeah. Which comes from, which list is, the, the list is inspired by? Yeah, uh, Empire. Empire. Yeah. So, okay, and this is, I'm going to nitpick here as well, because some of the films that you are about to watch or have watched, <laughs> yeah. so you've got Die Hard on a Boat, which is? Under Siege. Which Under Siege. I need to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. And Die Hard on the Police Station, we have said, is Assault on the Precinct 13, despite yeah. the fact that Assault on the Precinct 13 came out before <laughs> Die Hard. Yeah, it did. I mean, that's just, that's ludicrous. It's, it's just that's lazy crazy. journalism. That's yeah. what we are. Yeah, <laughs> lazy, horror, just nasty. If anything, Die Hard yeah. is Assault on Precinct 13 in a skyscraper. True, uh, yes. 
sort of a not really. A Nakatomi Plaza? Well, okay, no. But <laughs> okay, no. Or Citizen Kane in an office block, whichever you want. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is an amazing gesture on your part, Emma. And it's still going, isn't it? You can still... Yeah, it's bank holiday weekend in the UK, which is good because it gives me more time to watch the films. So yeah, I'm going to close it at the end of this coming Monday and all the information is on my Twitter if anyone uh, wants to kind of have a little look. And, and your Twitter is not Emma Thrower because... <laughs> weirdness. <laughs> so your Twitter is I am not Wayne Gale. Yeah. And it's for a very, very good cause indeed. So do, if you can, fling some shekels Emma's way and continue her film education with North Sea Hijack and, and dreadful films like that. But what did you both think? Yeah. Yes, sorry. I want to hear James's first because I have a feeling that he uh, he did not have a great time No, with not at all. I, I enjoyed it a great deal. I mean, it's clearly not as good as Die Hard, but that's neither here nor there. No, I did. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it a great deal. I think it's an awkward thing when you watch a film when you know everything there is to know about this film. Obviously, I knew it was going to be brilliant and it was indeed a classic. And it had become a point of, I think, just contrariness that I hadn't seen it. It was almost, I was celebrating the fact I was just never going to watch it on principle just because it's so <laughs> ludicrous to not do so. But no, I did enjoy it a lot. Although, although, and I will take this issue here. So at the end of the film, mm-hmm. when we obviously find out the meaning of the word Rosebud, it's the name of the sled. It is clearly not the name of the sled. What? It is clearly <laughs> not the name of the sled. It is quite clearly the name of the corporation that manufactured the sled. No, no, because no, no, no. Because no small child who was, let's be honest, impoverished before a gold mine was discovered on his mother's property, is able to go out and commission the construction of an elaborate coloured stamped plaque and have it put onto his cheap-ass sled. Therefore, the sled was made by the Rosebud Corporation. So there's a whole subtext here. Maybe he's actually talking about the company, not the sled. Maybe it's something he wanted to acquire and couldn't. <laughs> so it's all about capitalism and maybe, you know, it's an acquisition, a hostile takeover that he, you know, attempted. So are you saying I mean, that this is like Wayland Utani? Yeah. <laughs> So there's a whole yes. Citizen Kane prequel yes. with Lance Henriksen called Charles Rosebud. Rosebud Inc. That's the name of the wow. film. It's the straight-to-video okay. sequel. Yeah, uh, very straight-to-video. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, I <laughs> singularly me, I have discovered the secret behind Citizen I Kane. feel like you may be overlooking the fact that in sort of, I don't know, pre-turn of the century, wherever the hell that was, I forget, snowy, impoverished landscape. Citizen Caneville. It's really, that's really Citizen Caneville, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was called that when he was born? That's weird, isn't it? I know. <laughs> Crazy. Anyway. Manifest Destiny. I don't feel like corporations, like large corporations, made tiny wooden sleds. I think that would have come from the sort of village toy shop at most if it hadn't been manufactured by his dad or something. Yes. So you're saying his dad was secretly going out as a character called Rosebud and this is a whole No, like Rosebud could have been the name of their old house and he just put it on to decorate the sled. Where is he getting this? So his dad was a sheet metal worker is what you're saying? No, I'm saying like maybe it just was a thing that they had and they just put it on the sled to make it look nice. Ah, so Rosebud is something completely separate that they just oh put onto the sled. So you're saying there's a whole other level. The, the real question which you've neglected is uh, who heard him say Rosebud? You make a valid point because obviously the butler hears him say it at an earlier point in time or at least says he did when mm. he's recounting it. But yes, who was there when he died? Kaiser Sose. Yes, interesting times. Yeah, I mean, it's got so many great moments in that film. I think if I had to pick out my one favourite moment, it's uh, when I think it's Bernstein, isn't he? He's recounting the story of... When he's saying, who's Rosebud? Oh, it could have been a girl he knew. Oh, that doesn't seem very likely. And he mentions the girl that he saw that one time. Yeah. And there's not a week goes by or whatever, so he doesn't think about this girl. I thought that was a lovely, a lovely moment. Next yeah. week when James watches films, he should have watched years ago. He catches up finally with Problem Child 2. Yeah? <laughs> Brian LeFant's greatest movie. OK, Emma, this week you watched Die Hard. Yeah. What did you think? I mean, it's no Citizen Kane, but uh, I really enjoyed Citizen it. Citizen McLean. I, Citizen McLean, yeah. Someone on Twitter mentioned that. It's brilliant. 
I love number three, though, you guys. Uh, but, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> but number one. No, 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 no. no. You I've can't be skip here. past number one and go, I love number three. <sighs> no, no, no. I <laughs> I love Die Hard. I lo- okay. I, I love Die Hard. Okay. I James love put away the gun. She said I, it. I feel like there's a butt coming. No, I love Die Hard. Okay, good. Die Hard. In the way I love no, Lamp, no, 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 I love no. Die Hard. Did you hear that? Did you hear the way she said it? I love Die Hard. See, this says something to me. I mean, it says to me that you watched Die Hard, but you didn't see Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Uh, um, <laughs> do I apologise? <laughs> what was your favourite bit? Everything with Alan Rickman. I was so looking forward to finally seeing that villain. And I know it's a terrible thing to say, but I love—I just love the slow-mo him falling off the building. I think it's absolutely amazing. Oh my goodness, she delights in death. No, yeah. I don't. Can I just clarify? I don't. I just mainly just feel happy that I've righted my horrific wrongs, to be honest. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Whenever he was saying any of these lines, all I could hear was Chris and James. <laughs> <laughs> Which Mr. is fine. Kagi. <laughs> How do you feel about coming to this seminal movie long after watching a lot of movies, inferior films based on it? I mean, obviously you're watching other stuff, but you presumably have seen... Other films. You haven't seen The Rock, have you? You haven't seen no, films that's like on The Rock is one of the films that I will be watching, okay. thanks to all the donations. All right. Thank you. But you liked it. Would you give it five? No, you give it five? give it four. <gasps> give it four? Yeah. You'd give it four? I don't do half stars, I give it a four. Oh my Very high four. God. I think Richard Gere best summed this up in Pretty <laughs> Woman when he said that people either go to the opera and they love it or they go to the opera and they don't, and people who don't can learn to appreciate it, but it will never be a part of their soul. And that is you. You <laughs> have no soul. I love That's the opera, but the thing is, you know, when you come to something late, as you were saying earlier, yeah. you see everything else that has influenced it in it. Yeah. I remember yeah. showing someone Jurassic Park when they were like 22 and they didn't get it and I was mortified, mm. but they hadn't seen it as a child. But and, that's it. You know. And, and to be fair, you've come to Die Hard a little late, but I'm 75 years late for mine, so... <laughs> yeah. And there is a worse wrong here to be righted. Emma also hasn't seen The Princess Bride. Oh, no. Oh, no. Why would you do that to me? No, I'm sorry. It has to come out. The truth will out, Emma. Uh, that's I'm Inconceivable. Blame, blaming John Croker for that You'll one. keep using that word. I don't know what it means, what you think it means. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole nother marathon. <laughs> uh, can I say something controversial? Yeah. I'm not a big fan of The Princess Bride. Do I need to watch it again? Yes. Can we watch it together? Until you love it. <laughs> Until over and Repeatedly. over again. Repeatedly. All right, so we've blathered on so long about uh, Citizen Kane and Die Hard that we probably don't have time to do this week's question. For the first time ever, really, in the podcast history, we hope you forgive us. It's a very, very good question, so we'll do it next week. It's from Ankit Mather. So, Ankit, if you're listening, we will get round to your question next week. Apologies. Okay, so it's time now for our first guest, who is an Australian actor who started out as a stand-up comedian and as an actor in the very funny comedy film The Castle, but along the way, Eric Banner, for It Is He, has developed a reputation as a bit of a brooder on screen, thanks to uh, turns in the likes of Black Hawk Down, Ang Lee's Hulk, Troy, his bad guy role in the rebooted Star Trek, and Steven Spielberg's Munich. But he returns to comedy this week in special correspondence as an unscrupulous radio journalist. I've never met an unscrupulous radio journalist. <laughs> Opposite writer-director Ricky Gervais. He popped into our pod with recently, Eric that is, not Ricky, where I had a natter with him about all manner of things. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Ember podcast by Eric Banner. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Good, good, good. Uh, are you well or are you jet-lagged to buggery? I, I thought I had it beat. <laughs> I woke up this morning feeling very cocky about myself. It's day two. I'm like, I'm, I'm good. Uh-huh. It's, it's lurking. It's, um, I'm having a, you know... Mm, having a few moments. Yeah, out of body, 
sort of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Do you not have a, do you not have a beat after all these years? Because you've been flying around forever. I'm pretty good with it. I, you know what I do is I, I prioritise, you know, like, so I got in a couple of days ago and had to do some TV stuff yesterday. Okay. I'm usually my best the day after I get in. Oh, okay. And it can sort of... It can sort of creep up. So um, am I getting you now at the apex of how you, good you are or am I on no, the downward curve? You're getting me at the best time with resistance is low and <laughs> I could say anything. Absolutely I, anything. I take no responsibility for anything that comes out of my mouth <laughs> right now. So if I go full on Inquisitor and really just hit you with hard-hitting stuff, like what attracted you to the project. Absolute magic. (laughs) What was it like working with Ricky Gervais? All that sort of stuff, the really tough stuff. I could end up just telling the truth, which would be terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this uh, special correspondence is is a comedy, and I imagine... You don't get a lot of those these days that come your way. Mm, uh, no, I, I don't. Despite where you started out, yeah. obviously, as an actor. You've, you've done a lot of movies over the years that are very intense dramas. Uh, so when comedy comes your way... I thought they were all comedies. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were all pretty funny. Absolutely. Each to their own. Yeah. No, but you're right. Obviously, I, I don't get sent as many comedy scripts as I do drama. They're few mm. and far between. And I, I don't sort of, you know, I've never kind of made it my thing to, oh, I must go back and do comedy to prove that I can do comedy. Um, so, you know, if it comes along and it's it's the right sort of thing, like funny people and and, mm. and this, thank you, um, then I'll uh, then I'll I'd like to do it. Uh, so, uh, when this one landed on your desk, yeah. what was it? Did it land on your desk? I mean, I don't know how these things work. It may, it may it, have been just a phone call. It it, been... Well, initially it was a phone call from my mm. agent and uh, who told me about you know Ricky's next project, and I was like, great, because they know I'm a huge fan of Ricky. That's nice to know what he's up to. Well, what's that got to do with me? They're like, well, <laughs> we're going to send you the script. He wants you to, you know, wants you to play Frank. Yeah. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, well, does Ricky know who I am? He seriously, like, my ego was like, Ricky Gervais knows who Eric Banner is. Really. <laughs> Fantastic. So you adopted um, an English accent. Just adopted like, well, an English yeah. accent. Uh, read the script and thought it was hilarious and then met with Ricky. Mm-hmm. And off, off we went. So it was, uh, there was no audition. And um, no, I was very lucky. So I, I yeah. I'm a huge fan of Ricky's from from way back and just couldn't wait to get going. Mm. And what was it like on, on set? Because we had a guy on set and he said that uh, he watched you guys do a bunch of scenes in the apartment where uh, Frank and, and Ian are holed up in this movie. And it was just alt after alt after alt and different takes and racing through stuff and trying different stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily sticking to the words on the page. That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can take was, the script and throw it away. It was great because you... It's nice when you're working with someone who, you know, is in complete control of what, what they're doing and then is happy to just let that go. And we would just go off on tangents. If, if we thought of something in between takes and he'd be like, yeah, let's do that, let's do that. And so you do another take and then in the middle of the scene you would just start talking about something com- completely, you know, off-pissed from where you were that had nothing to do with the scene itself knowing that, well, if it works, it's in the film and if it doesn't, it gets cut, it's no, <laughs> no harm done, you know. And so that freedom... Is, is a really good place to be creatively. Yeah. So somewhere there's about a five and a half hour cut of special correspondence. With uh, I'm sure. With four hours, that is, is Ricky laughing. Because <laughs> <laughs> he he's a notorious corpser, isn't he? He's, uh, yeah. He's someone who cracks up during the middle of the take. How many takes did he ruin during this film? Uh, there, there were some where literally the, the um, 
you know, I, I went in being really concerned about getting in trouble for laughing myself. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into me busting him and going, Rick, you've got to pull together now because we we are going to need this shot. Seriously, we cannot break for lunch until we get this. Uh, could you please just, no, no, we'll just, we'll just move on. We'll never get it. I, I can't. I'm sorry. You're like, no, mate, you're going to need it. I'm telling you, stop laughing. You know, let's get it. You know, so it kind of went the other way. So you're not too bad with the old corpse scene because I, I, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of comedians are very focused. A lot of, you know, a lot of comedic actors are very focused and they don't laugh. No, I, I've been in a lot of trouble in the past on film sets um, and of course the, the worst thing about working on a drama when something's funny is that it's such a release and people get very tense and very serious so the first AD gets all you know like um, we, we, we gotta get the shot uh, <laughs> uh, so the director is quite you know is, is worried now that we're not gonna make the day yeah. and I'm like dude the more serious and concerned you look yeah. the less chance we have of me <laughs> pulling this together um, so with Ricky, it was great because it was the director who was laughing, yeah. um, and you could just kind of go with it. So you were a, you were a fan of Ricky's, yes, before this. Yeah, I mean he's he's obviously done one or two high profile things uh, in the past, but uh, what was it the first uh, you first saw? I'm guessing the Office. Yeah, the Office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a huge fan of the Office, and I just because uh, I I love that kind of comedy where character is king. Mm-hmm. You know, where the observation. Uh, or the idea is 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 the thing that keeps the keeps a sketch or or a character alive, mm-hmm. rather than relying on a big tag or you know um, you know a moment. So, yeah, yeah. So the the office was just full of such great observations and kind of cringeworthy characters that just that's that's what I really love. Um, so the 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 plot of the film obviously puts uh, your characters together in very very close proximity for a very, very long time. Um, so I have to ask, how sweaty did that film set get? I mean, how close did you guys get? Yeah, we were in that, we were in the makeshift studio for for quite a lot of days. Yeah, you're right, actually, most of my stuff is just, you know, Ricky and I in, in, uh, in, in, a, in a relatively tight space. Um, <laughs> so it was good that we got along well, actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think you get more improv stuff as a result of that kind of, tension and that res- restrictive storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did it, did, did it then feel like a relief when the the story, I won't give anything away obviously, but the story allows you guys to get out of, to get the, out of the, the apartment. studio. Yeah. yeah, the studio, the makeshift studio and, and run around yeah. wherever yeah, it, it is, is you run it around. Is always, it is always good to get, get outdoors when you're shooting for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a, at one point... At one point, uh, there is a close-up of uh, Ricky's characters, uh, character Ian collects action figures, specifically Marvel action figures. Mm-hmm. And there's a lovely close-up of a Hulk action figure. And I want to know if it, it sparked some sort of nostalgic pang in you. No, but I do, I do know there was a lot of tension on the set about which figures had, they'd gotten clearance for and how many <laughs> seconds the camera could, could be on that particular character. <laughs> so just hearing that conversation was actually quite... Quite funny, the uh, the rigmarole are involved in getting clearance for, for dummies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't own any Hulk action figures yourself, I'm guessing? I, I don't. I do have I do have uh, my Star Trek character, actually. Okay. But like a bobblehead. I think it's in my daughter's bedroom somewhere. Um, but that's about it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're not a collector in that, in no, that way. In that no. way, you're not a geek. I had, was, a, I had a cousin back when I was a kid who had everything. He had every, you know... Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, and I got really jealous of one, which was a $6 million man, and you could look in through the back of his head, and he had bionic vision, which was just nothing. You just, it was basically <laughs> just a, a pinhole through the back of 
Steve Austin. Uh, that was one I was most jealous of. Okay. Uh, and if I, in fact, if I walk past a memorabilia shop and I saw a six million dollar man, you might doll, pop I, I'd be tempted. Okay, you might pop in. That'd be the only one that would be on my my radar to purchase. <laughs> Otherwise, having action figures of yourself around your house would be a bit weird. Yeah, a bit weird. Yeah, be a bit nuts. And uh, of course, Special Correspondence is a Netflix Netflix. Uh, if you will, you're one of the, the very first actors to to delve into that straight to streaming, uh, I guess. Uh, did that, that make a difference to you? Were you excited to know that suddenly around the world on any given on one given day, this film would be, could be seen I, by millions of people? Yeah, I didn't think about it too much. We were sort of putting the film together as an independent comedy at the time. And mm-hmm. so it was it was very late in the piece that Netflix came along and, and, and uh, took over the film. Um, so... When we went into production, we knew that it was going to be on Netflix, but right up until then, we didn't we didn't know that. So, the movie making process was no different. They mm-hmm. they really let Ricky do his thing, um, and in Australia, it, it 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 started quite late. So I was not really fully aware of how big they were. Um, and now, when I'm telling family and friends, oh, you know, the film comes out this month and you can get it on Netflix, like, mm. oh, cool, I'll see it. <laughs> I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, you weren't going to see it if it was on the cinema? Um, so I think it has changed people's viewing habits a bit. And I, I love their original programming. So, you know, it's exciting to be, you know, one of the first, I guess, feature films that, that they're putting out straight yeah. to their streaming service. But are you a binge watcher of uh, other Netflix stuff? I, I, got, I got into Making a Murderer and I loved Bloodline. As oh, well, yeah. I was actually watching Bloodline when we were shooting Special Correspondence. Um, yeah, I love that show. I love it, and I, I'm excited because you know there's a there's a lot of great product out there, and a lot of you know great producers who are sitting on amazing bits of material that otherwise wouldn't be made. And I think yeah. you know these kind of models and you know Amazon and Netflix, and obviously you know really raising the bar of of, of that sort of programming that's you know been there in a smaller smaller way with other other places, but. Um, it's great. It's good for the industry. Mm. But uh, say, for example, the longest that you would sit in front of a TV show? Four episodes? Oh, no, two episodes. episodes. Two? Yeah, I don't like sitting still for too long. So <laughs> two, what, I, no, what I normally do, actually, it'd be two and a, two and a quarter. Okay. Because I don't like to, to, to try and go to sleep on a cliffhanger. <laughs> so like shows like Homeland, my wife and I will record it and we will watch the episode. Then we'll always watch the first five minutes of the next episode oh, to get our anxiety levels down. That's interesting. And then turn off. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the key is to not try and go to sleep on a cliffhanger. Just go into the very next episode a bit uh-huh. and have the discipline, dare I say, the discipline uh-huh. to stop. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. That's, that's amazing. I mean, never go to sleep in an argument. I know that, but... Never go to sleep on a cliffhanger. There you go. Should we leave it there? Yeah. On a cliffhanger? Let's leave it there. Eric Banner, thanks so Thank much you. indeed. Thank you. He's so dreamy. Thank you, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean Eric Banner? Yeah. Yeah. He was eating a banana, and I'm kicking myself for not making some sort of banana banana. I bet he's never heard it before either. Related pun. I'm sure he'd have really appreciated it. Yeah. That. And I'm sure he would have done, given that he's a comedian and whatnot. I never told him about the idea that we had once in a magazine to do an anagrams column called Eric's Banagrams. Yeah. Did you yeah. tell him about our uh, Christmas carol involving him? No, remind me. The only one I can remember is Good King Wesley Snipes. 
Yeah. Good King Wesley and Snipes looked out. We also had on the Rachel Vice to the tune of Edelweiss. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. I didn't think you were going to sing the whole thing. Well, that's the only line I remember. And, and there was um, Rachel Vice. Rachel Vice, yes. Yeah, yeah, to, the, to, to the tune of Edelweiss. Yeah. Oh, Danny Rachel Boyle. Rachel Vice. Oh. Danny Boyle. That's not a Christmas carol. No, it wasn't really Christmassy, but it was a song, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, should we have some movie news? Yes. Should we talk about some movie news? Mm-hmm. Where should we start? Who wants to start? Start someone, please. Someone start somewhere with something. Will Ferrell is going to be Ronald Reagan. Okay, this is a thing. This is a blacklist script about Reagan, and Will Ferrell has been touted to play Ronnie himself, which is an interesting choice. Though, as of late, has anyone seen season two of Fargo? Yes, I have. Bruce Campbell's Ronnie is very good. It is. So I'm mooting a substitution. <laughs> you see, you haven't even given him a chance yet. He's been very, very good at playing George Bush. So we have to assume he can also play Reagan. Because Reagan on Saturday Night Live, it was Phil Hartman who used to do Reagan, wasn't it? He did him absolutely brilliantly. I think he was the one in the sketch where Reagan is actually an incredibly incisive mastermind who just turns on the hokey sort of <laughs> dumbness when anyone comes a-calling. And then okay. behind the scenes with his advisors, he's absolutely ruthless. Like um, which was an amazing, amazing sketch. Mm. I think it's online somewhere. So I'm kind of interested to see if Will Ferrell will be in any way kind of influenced by that or if he will completely go off in his own direction. But that could be quite interesting to see. Was it Rickman who did him last on the big screen? In, um, the, in the butler. butler. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is interesting because obviously you know he's played George Bush before, George W. Bush. I don't see him as Reagan, I'll be honest, but this could be interesting. Apparently, it's more of a serious film than mm. you might imagine. So maybe maybe he smells Oscar. Who knows? Maybe he's you know Adam McKay's got an Oscar now. Yeah, <laughs> little girl's going. I want one. <laughs> so they get on the offices of Gary Sanchez. They can have like bookends. Yes, imagine sitting there, and in between them is one book, and it's the Ron Burgundy autobiography, <laughs> and that's it. That's what I would do. Yeah. Which is or, why I'm not a, an Oscar winning or like, or like, Or like, I don't know, like put something stupid like a rubber chicken, like eating the yeah. Oscar's head or yeah. something. Something like that. <laughs> or melt the Oscar down for scrap. <gasps> blasphemy. Why is it blasphemy? Well, it's gold plated, not solid gold. Oh, I forgot. Gold. I forgot. It's time and money. <laughs> it's not solid gold? No. Oh, okay. So last week, as the podcast came out, Hollywood drops big movie news as you know so the announcement was made that Robert Downey Jr. is going to be in Spider-Man Homecoming as Tony Stark yeah and that's all well and good and I'm excited about that prospect but couldn't they have waited until Civil War was out to announce that yeah I mean as spoilers go it's not the worst of spoilers I suppose yeah well, it may be a flashback, Helen. It could be. You know, obviously, he gets decapitated at the end of Civil War. Yeah, <laughs> that, no, that would be a spoiler, what? Chris. Oh, God. But yeah, that's interesting. Civil War's out this week, out today, in fact. So if you go and see it, then you will see that he has excellent chemistry with young Tom Holland. Yeah. Uh, who plays Peter Parker. So I can see why they would go in that direction. I do yeah. like Tom Holland. He's not the most Tom Holland. That would obviously be Tom Hollander. No, Tom. Well, Tom Hollander is Hollandier, but I, I think the most Tom Holland is Tom Holland, the historian. No, I think. Oh, is he I, Tom, no. Tom Hollandest? No, no, no. <laughs> the most Tom Hollanderist, Tom Holland of all the Tom Hollands, is Tom Holland, who is the director of Fright Night and Child's Play. Tom Holland, who plays <laughs> Spider Man, yeah, ranks I think second on my list of Tom Hollands. Wow, just ahead of Tom Holland. <laughs> you'd put him ahead of Tom Holland. See, I'd wow. have Tom Holland at the top. Sure. Okay, because I love those movies. Sure. Tom Holland 
he's moving up fast on Tom Holland. He's he's very very close to overtaking him, and I think in a couple of years' time, Tom Holland will definitely be my number one Tom Holland. Right. And then for me, even though he wrote a really good piece on Game of Thrones for Empire most recently, Tom Holland's way down the no, list. No, but come on, Tom Holland. If you'd read Rubicon or Millennium or was it One Thousand, he's amazing. Persian Fire, absolutely okay. brilliant on the Peloponnesian Wars. I stand corrected, and that's Tom Holland who wrote that. That's Tom Holland. Okay. Yeah. I'll be sure to update my Tom Holland files. Speaking of Tom Holland and and people who are Tom Hollander, you mentioned Jimbo. Did anyone read his Spectator piece on Medium Prince? Yes. It is hilarious. The man is clearly Tom Hollander, that is. Yes. He's a very, very funny writer. So obviously, again, after the podcast was recorded last week, the very, very sad news reached us that Prince, the legendary superstar of music and, to a lesser extent, movies, Mm. had passed away unexpectedly at the age of 57. So all week it's been an outpouring of grief about Prince, and rightly so as well. But I think now we're beginning to get some slightly different pieces and pieces that you know are a bit more irreverent. And uh, Tom Hollander's piece about meeting Prince is very, very funny indeed. I learned this week that Prince's involvement in Batman was a contractual thing forced on them by Warner Brothers. Forced on Batman or forced on Prince? Presumably forced on Tim Burton. I don't know quite how Burton felt about it. Obviously, he was signed to Warner Brothers Music Label and they wanted to push his next thing. So it was a studio decision to bring him in to do the Bat Dance album and to be so involved in the film. Well, I, I watched that again as my little sort of tribute to Prince. And I'm not saying it's his best music ever, but it does give the film a little bit of a, a sort of strangely, I want to say irreverent again, mm. a, a sort of an edge, actually. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it gives it a little bit of lightness somehow. And it's weird because I also watched this week for other reasons, rewatched The Fifth Element. And I feel like that music was riffing a little bit on the sort of the bat dance kind yeah. of sound. The Eric Serra. Yeah, a little bit. I'd never really noticed it before because I hadn't watched them in close proximity mm. to each other. I, I must admit, I'd never. And it may be coincidental, but just felt a little bit similar. Yeah, I found that. I mean, I had the, the bat dance album way back in the day. And I remember in the film, I found it a slight odd fit like the party man sequence in the art gallery just felt weird I mean it definitely gels with Nicholson's version of the Joker but it's a, mm. it's an odd sequence yeah it, a very dark bit but his own you know his films he, he took sort of bigger roles in mm. and most notably of course Purple Rain I think you can't get Sign of the Times basically hopefully now somebody will get, try and get hold of that and make it more mm. widely available I've never seen it but you know Purple Rain you can't really fault the music there at all Purple ever. Rain is screening this week certainly in my one of my local cinemas but yeah there's certainly an amazing talent. And I think someone who strangely withdrew from the movie world in a big way after making that sort of early impact with, mm. as you say, Purple Rain and Sign of the Times. I don't think he needed it really in a strange way. You know, I think he uh, he clearly had a very healthy ego. And I, I don't mean that as, you know, shade. He completely knew what he was, what he wanted to do and what he wanted to focus on. And he had the talent and the drive and the success to allow him to do that. So he just, I think, you know, withdrew from film because why would you go through such a tough, long, drawn-out process, you know, when he could kind of control his own work in music, especially once he set up his own studio and everything else. But, yeah, huge loss to music, no question. No question, indeed. You know, I've never seen Under the Cherry Moon, so I will rectify that ASAP. I should probably watch Purple Rain. Yeah, What what, what would that be? That'd be Die Hard in a... Biopic. (laughs) His outfits, though, were tremendous. I watched this week his performance at the MTV Awards and I think it was 93 mm-hmm. where he performs Get Off for the first time and he's wearing a suit basically made of yellow string with no buttocks. <laughs> what? It's, I'm not kidding. It is an astonishing piece of, I hesitate to call it costume, but costume? Clothing? So you can see his... Yep. His, his raspberry beret. I mean, no. 
I don't uh, know what that. Weirdly enough, that's exactly what James me. is wearing right now. This is, uh, <laughs> so bizarre. And fifty-seven. It's no age at all these days. Nothing. That is uh, is crazy. Extraordinary talent that was Prince, who died last week. And also someone who passed away last week was Guy Hamilton at the age of 93. Guy Hamilton was one of the directors who really shaped James Bond. He His first Bond movie, he turned down the chance to direct Dr. No at one point. But his first Bond movie was Goldfinger, which I think set the template really more so than Dr. No and for much of it love for the Bond that we all know and love today. And then he directed three more movies. He directed Connery's Return and Diamonds Are Forever. He directed Live and Let Die, so Moore's first movie, and then The Man with the Golden Gun. I think Bond, as it is today, just wouldn't work without Guy Hamilton. We just wouldn't have Bond without Guy Hamilton. And uh, according to his Wikipedia page, he also turned down the chance to direct Batman. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, he and Prince could have intersected at a very interesting (laughs) stage of their careers, I think. There's a strange link between Bond and Batman, isn't there? Because people have often talked about Christopher Nolan. Well, yeah, Batman Begins is essentially a Bond film. Yeah. You have the overarching villain. If you look at Ra's al Ghul as a a Blofeld equivalent... Then you have a secondary tier of villains underneath it as well. You have Lucius Fox, who's obviously the Q role. Mm. There's an M equivalent in Alfred as well. And there's about a, a playboy, I mean, obviously a darker playboy, one who's a bit more knowing than Bond. But uh, there's definitely comparisons there. And obviously yeah. Nolan, as we know, you know, and, uh, he loves Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which Guy Hamilton didn't direct. But yeah, it, it was um, a phenomenal director of those movies. Goldfinger is fantastic. Not my favourite Bond, but a truly seminal movie. So Guy Hamilton, who passed away last week at the age of 93. A good old innings, as they say. Yeah. Okay, anything else in the world of movie news? Yeah, a couple of things. Just to keep it, you know, sad for a minute. Watership Down, a film that I think scarred us all as children, is being remade as a four-episode CG animated collaboration between the BBC and Netflix. And they've assembled a heck of a voice cast to to scar another generation. Um, (laughs) James McAvoy, Ben Kingsley, Nicholas Holt, John Boyega, Gemma Arderton, Olivia Colman, Miles Jupp, Freddie Fox and Anne-Marie Duff will all be starring as rabbits facing the destruction of their warren and we will all be hiding under the sofa as they do so so um, (laughs) just me I I can't believe it's just me are we going to have like a a remix of Bright Eyes by Art Garfunkel oh goodness oh no no I think like a Slipknot version or something like that or some (laughs) Justin Bieber yeah like one of the more popular beat combos of the day (laughs) One Direction (laughs) they're on a break Helen oh oh my god I'm so sorry while Harry Styles is off on Dunkirk for Chris Nolan. Yes. Okay. It all comes back to him. It does. It? Mm. it always comes back to, to Chris Nolan or Harry Styles. Yes. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. I wonder if they're going to just be like animated, or is it going to be full on Jungle Book? So if you go into a studio at some point, will you see James McAvoy and John Boyega hopping around the place? Probably know, with not. Funny ears on. Probably not. Although I would enjoy seeing that personally. <laughs> if you haven't seen the 1978 version, and there was a cartoon at the turn of the century, but it wasn't quite as good. That's the most recent century, not the really old one. And uh, <laughs> it, 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 honestly, it's it's genuinely terrifying. It is one of the scariest kids' movies I think that there has ever been made, and it will give you nightmares. So. Yeah, I'm, I may be over-egging it now. Ever show it to your children? Never show you? it to your children. Never. No. I watched that and The Plague Dogs oh, no. oh, yes. at the same time. Do that's, you hate rabbits? That's not a barrel of laughs either, no. is it? No, it's you not. Know. And the thing is, like, I always used to get quite excited when I saw an advert for it on TV because you look at the pictures and it's, oh, cute bunny rabbits, it's animated. It must be for me as a child. No. No, no. It is not for you as a child, No. 
but you know, definitely go see the new one, I guess. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to see those tasty rabbits in action. Mm. Oh, Chris. Oh, it's going to be so you lovely. Monster. Edible cinema. So good. A couple of other things to talk about very yeah. quickly. There was an ab fab trailer, the trailer this week for Absolutely Fabulous the Movie, which for me proved one of the theories I've been harping for a long, long time that basically, and I may have said this on Twitter already, but if you want to kidnap John Hamm, just make a comedy film or a TV show, and at some point he'll turn up and do a cameo or a hameo. Hang on, I'm just taking notes here. What? <laughs> All right. So I'm just saying. Like, he cameos in this. He was in Toast of London last year, which is brilliant. He's in 30 Rock and yeah, SNL. Kimmy Schmidt and he does SNL and stuff. And he's a very, very funny guy. And he's popping up in the Ab Fab Trader as well as himself. So my theory is that, you know, you basically you just go, oh, hey, John. Oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, 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 good. Yeah, so I'm I'm writing a, uh, a comedy show. I'm there. Uh-huh. But you don't know what it's about. I'm there. Okay. Uh-huh. Brilliant. And so, uh, on, it's on June 7th, just turn up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. We're shooting just, in the back of my panel van. Yeah, you get the, you get the net, you get the tranquilizer gun. Yeah. And you got yourself your very own John You get Hatt. the vicar, you get the marriage license, and there you go. You're it's fine. legally binding. Absolutely <laughs> legally binding. So there you go. The Empire Podcast advocating the kidnap of John Hamm since 2016 but there we go uh, legal disclaimer we do not actually advocate the kidnapping of John Hamm kidnapping John Hamm it's illegal so the trailer came out it did I laughed I thought it was very funny at which part did you laugh I don't remember <laughs> there were jokes no I'm cautiously optimistic I was slightly disturbed that somebody called Kate Moss falling in the river a defenestration because of course that would involve falling through a window as we all know <laughs> what an embarrassing mistake uh, but uh, but no I thought you know it looks amusing I am very willing to give it a chance and I'm hoping that it will be great alright quick question yeah is Hans Gruber at the end of Die Hard defenestrated yes he is but he doesn't technically fall through the window does he he falls out of the window and then he hangs on to something and then he gets dropped is yeah but the- first he's defenestrated the defenestration just involves going through the window it doesn't mean you die going through the window does it okay. involve a pane of glass because as the resident Die Hard expert on the pod team <laughs> um, you know that had already gone Oh my goodness, James and Chris just looked at each oh. other like, which one of us is going to shoot her down oh for that? <laughs> James is literally recovering. James, like James is checking the pain. window to see how difficult it would be Riding to defenestrate you right now. I think uh, <laughs> it's fine. There's at least three panes of glass between you and the... Uh, I'm only on the second floor, you'd be fine. I'm glad I'm on the other uh, side. I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. <laughs> Okay. All right, okay, so Alien Covenant began filming this week. Yeah. Have you got a picture? It's a picture of an arm with a Covenant, which is namely the spaceship involved. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Other alien news this week, Reebok uh, oh launched. God, yes. This was an amazing own goal. Uh, Reebok decided for the self-proclaimed Alien Day for 26. Who decided that this was Aliens Day? I mean, I don't know, but it's crazy. Anyway, <laughs> so 426, they decide, or 26th of April, as we call it in this country, they decided to release the what they call the Alien Stompers, the shoes that Ripley wears in Aliens. Yes. And then Bishop, I think, wears a slightly modified, smaller mm, version. And they released these shoes in men's sizes. Only in men's sizes. Now, in fairness, there were only something like 426 pairs worldwide. What? Apparently. And they have claimed that there were women's sizes, but no one has seen these women's sizes. And they were listed on the site as men's shoes. So basically what they've done is released shoes 
worn by a woman originally in the film <laughs> that women can't get in their size unless they have larger feet. What about xenomorphs? Did they cater for them as well? They did not cater for xenomorphs. But since those don't exist, that's, I'm less worried about their, you know. <laughs> this is a disastrous, disastrous day for Reebok. That's ridiculous. That was a bit stupid. That yeah. is crazy. Oh, well. I, will, I will say, in the interest of film-related apparel, that I was walking uh, near a station the other day and I saw what I assume was a drug dealer outside the station. <laughs> uh, you it, assume everyone under well, 27 it, is a drug dealer. It was dealer. South London, that's my understanding. Welcome um, to James's world. And they were wearing a Martin McFly about the future part two multicoloured cap yeah cool presumably given in lieu of money for some kind of they have they sell them in a shop next door to us that I don't know if we're allowed to say shops we're allowed to say shops no it it is forbidden on this planet oh is it the (laughs) store that is right next to the Empire office in there they have them wow yeah they're They're horrible they are horrible (laughs) absolutely horrible they're pretty I like shiny things they're very garish but a magpie would surely steal it off your head Oh, it just have story. a fight on its hands. <laughs> Magpies are after my shoes all the time and they don't never get them. So. You do wear glittery shoes. I do. Quick digression because we haven't digressed enough in this podcast. <laughs> do you own any apparel, 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 apparel? That kind of film related t-shirts don't count. Do you own anything like like shoes, jackets that kind of says, hey, I'm a geek. <laughs> I mean, I own a lot of things that say, hey, I'm a geek. I'm not sure any of them are clothing. They probably are. I've got some obviously film-related T-shirts, but not yeah. from the film T-shirts, I think. Yeah. I have an Avengers key ring, but I don't oh, know if any of the cool. Avengers have that. So That's pretty cool. I've got a Galactus bottle opener. I don't know. That's not, that's not a pattern. That's an accessory at best. Okay, that's an accessory. That's fair enough. I've also got that Star Trek, that Enterprise pizza cutter. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. not wearing it. It's, if it is if I wear it at the time and I have a pair of Batman trainers yes let's say the left shoe says Bruce and the right shoe says Wayne really? and then the accompanying underpants are just Martha 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 Martha, Martha. Um, why did you say that name <laughs> that will never get old me I really won't Hey, we're talking about superheroes, so we should probably talk about Wolverine. Yeah. I didn't get to talk about my clothes. Well, oh, what, I'm yeah. sorry. Totally, totally, totally stole our thunder. <laughs> Neither did Emma. She's uh, probably got diehard tattooed across her back at this stage. That's not technically clothing. <laughs> That's right. Tell us about okay, your clothes, I James. Tell you about my clothes. I have the Converse trainers from iRobot. Oh, yeah. Will Smith wears an iRobot. Not the actual Aren't ones, they basically just... Plain black. They're black, but they've got a weird sort of crocodile skin texture. They were made, I think, they're, oh, okay. they're tied into the film. What else? I've got a Sons of Anarchy jacket. Sons mm-hmm. of Anarchy leather jacket. I've got a Hogwarts scarf. Don't you have as well. the, the jacket from X-Men Origins Wolverine? Yes, that's right. I have the Wolverine leather jacket from X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah, that's a nice jacket, actually. Yeah. Fine, you win. God. Yeah, you do win. Thanks. Well done, Jimbo. Emma, do you have anything? Nope. Excellent. Moving on. Do, do you have a Bruce Willis-esque singlet? Like a vest. <laughs> no, I have nothing. I have loads of tie-in merch, all that stuff. Loads and loads of random things, but no clothes. Do you walk around barefoot on the carpet and make fists with your toes? <laughs> yeah. She does all now. Right. Speaking of merch, <laughs> Stephen Merchant yes. has been cast in... Uh, yeah, listen, I don't I don't just make this shit up. Yeah, Stephen Merchant has been cast in The Wolverine 3. As which, Wolverine. As Wolverine. <laughs> Woodwatch. <laughs> yeah, West Country right? Wolverine. Nice country, Wolverine. Say so, Sabretooth. I'll stab you. I will. Um, it's the worst. No, it, that it's would never worst. work. He's too tall. Come on. Richard Gervais is actually the right size to play a kind of... He's a smaller guy. So Stephen Merchant as Wolverine... And then Ricky Gervais as bear with me here. Ricky Gervais as, as Wolverine. Okay, Saber, oh, Sabretooth is Stephen Merchant. Right. Okay, then Ricky Gervais as Wolverine. Uh huh. 
laughing at his own jokes. Uh-huh. Uh, and then <laughs> Carl Pilkington is Professor it's X. Professor X, because oh, he's a slaphead. Oh, wow. Oh, my word. What? That's a derogatory term. And is it? we even have. You are in the presence of a bald man who is now offended. <laughs> I, I like apologize. to apologise to our, our bald listeners <laughs> for that. I'm shocked by Helen's behaviour, and I hope that we haven't ruined your enjoyment. I'm going to shake your head. My deepest apologies. Yeah. <laughs> Should we suspend her for a week? Unbelievable. You've, you've, <laughs> Ooh, topical comment. You've offended all the cue balls. Um, right. <laughs> Stephen Merchant's in, in Wolverine 3. It's yeah. just the most bonkers. And, um, and Richard E. Grant. Yes. Yeah, so Richard E. Grant is a mad scientist. Now that, like, fine. Uh-huh. But, okay but what's he that. playing in Wolverine 3? <laughs> oh, no. He's a sensible perfume scientist in real life. He's a mad scientist in Wolverine 3. This is- but we don't know what Stephen Merchant is, is playing currently. I'd love to see him as Richard E. Grant's crazy sidekick, but I feel that's far too obvious. I'd like to see him going serious. Highly mm. doubt that's going to happen, but that would be pretty awesome. It, yeah. It's bizarre. Uh, yeah. And right. neither of them are the sort of fighty bad guy, right, that Wolverine will be... We'll be fighting because that's Boyd Holbrook. He's apparently the main yeah. nemesis. Mm. He was recently in Jane Got a Gun, Narcos, as well. Run All he's, Night, yeah, Gone he's Girl, he's, yeah, yeah. So that'll be that'll yeah, be an interesting. But imagine Stephen Merchant bulking up. Maybe it's like the Mandarin on over again, and Holbrook's the face, but Merchant's the muscle. Listeners could see the expression on Emma's face <laughs> if she was saying that. It was I hate almost Marvel. indecent. The prospect is just mind-boggling. Can we make it happen? Yes, I'm sure we can make it happen. Thank but it's, it's exciting to see what that is, what's going to happen. <laughs> Stephen Merchant, exciting times ahead for Wolverine 3. And right, last thing before we uh, we get off the movie news subject, because this week brings with it a new issue of the world's greatest film magazine, and uh, by a weird coincidence, Empire is out as well. Boom, Don't only know. kidding. <laughs> just my little joke, listeners. The new issue of Empire is out. It's on sale now, just £4.50 in all good and evil news agents. And it is packed with great stuff, including we are the first magazine anywhere in the world or certainly this dimension to put Ghostbusters the new Ghostbusters Paul Feig's Ghostbusters this all female reboot on the cover Nick DeSemlian for it is he was on set in Boston and caught up with all the Ghostbusters and Paul Feig several times and it's a very very fun informative in-depth piece and yes we do mention the fact that this movie seems to have rubbed the male population of Twitter up the wrong way for reasons I cannot even begin to fathom. Has it? Has it? I, I didn't notice. <laughs> no, I didn't I. notice. No. Uh, what was it? Uh, John Nugent of this podcast tweeted this week. He said, uh, Ghostbusters, <laughs> the mention of this Ghostbusters is like the horn of Gondor, but for twats. Um, hard to disagree with that, to be honest. We also have a piece written by Dan Aykroyd himself about his history with Ghostbusters. The cover is the Ghostbusters themselves. So you get Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon. But they are overlaid with a, what do you call this, Jimbo? It's an acetate. It's an yeah. acetate of Slimer, because Slimer, as we all know, is in the movie as well. It's amazing. So he is terrorising the ladies and you pull the acetate back and there are the ladies ready to yeah. bust. Big, big bust shout out ghosts. to our art team for that, because yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, awesome. It's fantastic. Also in the magazine this month, we have an interview with Ben Mendelsohn, interviewing a shoot with Ben Mendelsohn, who is awesome and obviously will be seen soon in Rogue One as young Ian McKellen. And seriously, you see him in that bit in the trailer? In the Rogue One trailer, where you first see Ben Mendelsohn, uh-huh. he is this spitting image of Ian McKellen. We also have an interview with Shane Black. Yes, someone from Empire went to Shane Black's house and sat down with Shane Black and talked <laughs> to Shane Black about Shane Black films for over an hour, and that someone from Empire wasn't me. What? Oh, Chris, it was I'm me. so sorry. It wasn't you, Emma, because you're still alive. Um, <laughs> the person responsible has been dealt with. Touch me again, I'll kill you, I said to him. And he 
give me a big kiss. No, it's Simon Braun. Simon Braun went to Shane Black's house and they had a great time. I'm so sorry, Chris. <laughs> Can I just say, and just I'm going to drop my antidote here. I have to say my claim to fame is I did say that line to Kim Coates once. You did, didn't I you? I did. I was on set of Sons of Anarchy and I was sitting next to Kim Coates while interviewing him and he put his hand on my leg and I turned to him and I said, touch me again, I'll kill you. And then I immediately explained what I meant in case he literally thought I meant it and destroyed me where I sat. But you, you lost, didn't get it. You lost oh, all your cred, didn't you? Because you went, you know, film from The Last Boy Scout and it's yes. really funny. And Bruce Willis, oh God, don't hurt me. I was quite proud of that. That's my... <laughs> Have you seen The Last Boy Scout? No, which is what oh, I was about to say. God. Anyway, moving swiftly on, Shane Black. Shane Black. And uh, hey, listen, <laughs> podcast listeners, podcast regulars, people who like podcasts. Do you like the Empire podcast? I hope you do. Keep them peeled. There may be some interesting Shane Black-related news coming your way very, very soon. So mm. uh, keep them peeled. We should also mention Empire yeah. Live. Hell's Bells, what is Empire Live? Empire Live is a big live event. It is happening this September 23rd to 25th in London's O2 Arena at the Cineworld there primarily. And we've got a couple of things going on in various different places. It's going to be mega, frankly. We're going to have people coming along and doing things, things. Q&As, introductions, things like that. That's fair to say, isn't it? Many, many things. Screenings. Uh, we're going to have sorts. screenings Secret of exciting things. films. We're going to have a live recording of this very podcast. Yeah, not, not this not exact this. one. No, we've that, would this be, one. Yeah, that would be crazy yeah. to like talk about films right three months ago. That would be a live read of this podcast. <laughs> Richard E. Grant playing himself. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense, but neither does any of the rest of it. So hey. But yeah, it's going to be brilliant. And the tickets are on sale. They are on sale right now. now. Now, do be specific. The packages are on sale now, True. whereby you can buy blocks of tickets or you can buy passes to certain days or indeed the whole weekend. Individual tickets for individual events will be available in August, whereupon more of the event will be revealed. And we'll be announcing stuff as, as we go. I'm yeah. sure it's going to be very, very exciting. Jimbo, where can people buy tickets for this or packages for this? EmpireLive.com should be the place that you go. EmpireLive.com Easy peasy. And, and keep them peeled. And uh, yeah, as we say, there'll be a live podcast, which we're very, very excited about, and a live pint of milk is one thing I know will be happening as well. So that's that's very exciting. Don't know who it's with. <laughs> well, one step Could be me time. interviewing Helen. <laughs> I did, but you never know. That'd be good. That'd Helen, be amazing. What's the biggest dog you've ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough one. The correct answer is Digby. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying that out. Okay. Also in this month's Empire, we have a, a feature on Duncan Jones' Warcraft, uh, which is coming out very, very soon. Uh, Dan Jones was on set and spoke to uh, Duncan recently. And in fact, we also have the first glimpse of Duncan Jones' new movie, Mute, which he's been trying to make for years. And he's finally going to make it with Alexander Skarsgård and perhaps Paul Rudd as well. And he was very, very gracious to sit down with our Dama Wise and talk about the movie and give us some concept art from the film as well. So that's that's in the news section if you want to take a look at that. We have Jodie Foster and Ted Talley looking back on Silence for the Lambs. And specifically why Clarice Starling is the true hero of the piece. Uh, over the years, I think Hannibal has become uh, the focus of Silence of the Lambs, but here we're reclaiming Clarice. And we spoke exclusively to Jodie Foster for that. The Empire interview is Rose Byrne. And there's a very interesting feature about Axel Braun, who is the man behind the porn parodies of all those Hollywood movies that you know and love. So Star Wars, The Avengers. So they're, you know... I've read, I haven't seen anything, obviously. Of course not. I've yeah. read that these porn parodies are very, very spot on, down to the use of, like, there's proper production values and acting and uh, costumes are, are fairly spot on as well. They're very much like the original movies, with the possible exception that you see it going in and everything. <laughs> that's that's the, that that's where they, they, they yeah, no, they're not part it. of the MCU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
So that so we were on set of that. That was very, very good. I presume the person we sent in the set was wearing a galosh. Oh, Chris. What? No, just or, you were doing so well. Or perhaps a, a cumbrella. This reminded me because before Age of Ultron came out, somebody put up a picture of, I think, Aaron Taylor-Johnson in his Quicksilver outfit and then put that next to a picture of the person playing him in the porn parody and said the porn outfit is actually a better Quicksilver look, right? Which got me thinking about Quicksilver. And have you seen those uh, adverts? featuring the X-Men at the moment. Yes. Right, it's really annoying me because in the adverts, they use Cyclops's power, Cyclops' uh-huh. eye beams, uh-huh. to light candles. Uh-huh. How does that work? How does that work? Well, they think they're fire. They pop corn and then they light candles. Also, technically, it's a concussion beam and it doesn't generate heat. Exactly it's my kinetic. point. Don't say technically. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. They need havoc and, frankly, he just melt the whole candle because it's right. plasma. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. Also, it's been uh, in that particular advert, uh, they use a song that is made famous in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, weird. Which just is like which one? Come and get your love. Oh, okay. Which just feels weird to me because it's so synonymous now with Guardians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there it is on the on an advert with Quicksilver and Cyclops and Storm and and someone who I'm sure is not actually Nicholas Holt. I'm sure Nicholas Holt didn't get up and get dressed up as Beast for one shot. But uh, it's it's very interesting. Good advert though. But yeah. just uh, but. A, but you know, come on! Yeah. Like we all know what Cyclops's power actually is. It's yeah, embarrassing. I think we all know. I think, I think we, we all know. know. I just realised we haven't even finished the podcast. <laughs> hey, we should what probably happens. review the uh, films. We should yeah. review oh, yes, the films. Um, I just need to finish off oh. a little bit here about the the magazine. There's lots of great stuff, and at this month's Piney Milk is James McAvoy. We have exclusive interviews in there, and loads of exclusive news stuff. Uh, Sam Neill is this month's best times, worst of times. Uh, I spoke to John Carpenter about his forthcoming world tour. There's tons of stuff. What a cracking issue of Empire! Four pounds fifty. Four pounds fifty. That is less than half a diehard. Yes. So yeah. what I'm saying is it's a good thing. <laughs> okay. And also, before we get on to the film review section, we should say a very, very sad farewell to Adam Gerrard, our deputy art director, Adam Gerrard, who is leaving Empire after a couple of years. He's moving on to Pastures New. Very exciting new opportunity for him. And uh, he's a very, very good guy. So farewell to him. And he was a Man United fan with the name Gerard, which <laughs> means he must be living uh, hell. He must be going through hell every single day. Every single day you're reminded of someone who is better than anybody who's ever played for your club. I mean, that is just, that's just horrible. It's horrible. So Adam, you have my sympathies and also my good wishes in your new career. Amen. Amen to that. Okay, right. It's time for our second guest. My God, <laughs> how long have we talked this week? I'm so sorry. Our second guest this week is a radio DJ. He's a TV host. Uh, and he'll soon be seen as a presenter of the newly revamped Top Gear. Where Chris, he... uh, are you sure? It's Chris Evans. Yeah, the other one, though. Is this Tom Holland situation all over again? I think it might be. Mm. So hang on. This is Chris Evans who... Oh, this is Chris Evans who's in Captain America Civil War. Yeah, yeah that would be relevant. Chris Evans it? who plays Captain America. Uh-huh. Yeah. Chris Evans, who was in the previous two Captain America movies yes. and the two Avengers. Yes. That's the one. Yes. And a okay. Thor. <laughs> he's been in, yes, he's been in two Captain, three Captain Americas and a Thor. Right. Well, that's embarrassing because I had a completely different intro written down. So um, I'm going to wing it now. What were so, your questions? Um, well, <laughs> we're about to find out, aren't we? Because I spoke to him this week. Uh, this could be awkward. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Chris Evans. How are you, sir? Very well. How are you? Excellent. Not too bad. Do you get jet lagged? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. It's been kind of strange waking up in different time zones, different countries. Uh-huh. You know, this is this is towards the end of our tour, so, so. Do you know where you are? I think so. Okay. I know I'm not in China. I know I'm not in Singapore. <laughs> You're in London, man. Yeah, You're in yeah, London. yeah. We were in um, China and Singapore a couple days ago. Oh, really? Okay. Where's next? Next will be New York. 
Okay. And then, uh, then we're done. And then done. Yeah. Uh, okay, excellent. Until you get the call. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so this movie, this movie, uh, Captain America Civil War, is, is very, very interesting because you're finding different shades and different depths in a character fifth go round. Mm-hmm. How difficult is that? Um, luckily, Marvel does a really good job of kind of reinventing these characters and finding new conflicts and new new uh, new ways to to kind of define themselves. You know, I think uh, you know, much like life, we're always kind of uh, learning about ourselves and and different challenges pose different uh, evolutions. So, so mm. with this movie, I think Cap is a little more. I'll even say selfish, you know, I mean, he's always been kind of a man of the people and made sure he, he tries to accommodate what people need. Um, yeah. And I think in this movie, he's really prioritized what he wants. Um, yeah. And I think it's a bit of a departure from his normal MO. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a new side of the character, but, but it's for the right reasons. You know, he, he mm. has a personal connection with Bucky and, and that's his family. And so he's going to do whatever he can to preserve it. Uh, he has a massive... Bucky's a blind spot for, for Steve in, in so many ways. I mean, when we get into the spoiler stuff, that's for the... Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to Russo about, uh, Russo about spoiler stuff. But uh, there's a line where he says, you know, I heard the name Bucky and suddenly I was a 16-year-old kid in Brooklyn again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, so that is a hugely important uh, part, part of of the flaws at Steve's heart in this movie. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, there's... His, his whole struggle since he woke up in, in modern day has been finding a home. And finding where he belongs, and Bucky represents his home. You know, your friends are, are um, you know, it's, it's how we define ourselves is by our family and by our friends. And Bucky's the last remaining chapter from from that part of Steve's story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when when it comes to Bucky, I think uh, his his moral compass begins to to shift a little bit, and he certainly becomes a little more uh, self involved mm-hmm. as opposed to being the selfless guy he's known to be. So th- this is your fifth time around. You got another uh, two films to come as uh, as Steve as Cap. And uh, how well do you know the character now? Because you have the situation where other directors are coming in. Obviously, you worked with Russo's twice, mm-hmm. Joss twice. But do you know the character better than they do? Uh, well, I I think so. I hope yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, yeah, that's 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 part of the nature of coming to work every day and living in his his frame of mind. The directors. And Joe and, and uh, Anthony and, and Joss all know the character in the comic books, but I'm the one going to work every day and living in his head and yeah. trying to bring him to life. So, so yeah. I'd like to believe I know them better than they do, yeah. Does that ever lead to moments where you go, I'm not sure Steve would say that. I'm not sure Steve would do that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's part of the beauty of these movies, that you get to have that kind of dialogue and say that doesn't quite feel right or this feels better or this feels more uh, dynamic or layered or conflicted. You know, whatever, whatever you're trying to accomplish, there's, there's always room for a dialogue. Mm. Does that mean uh, whenever the, the, the Russos or Joss uh, are crafting these movies, do you keep in, do you, do you check in from time to time and go, well, okay, what's happening, guys? Or maybe I'd like to see Steve do this. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, you know, it's it's clearly, Marvel pulls the strings. You know, it's it's Kevin, it's it's uh, Nate Moore, the, the Russo brothers, Marcus yeah. and McFeely. They map out a landscape and then, you know, you kind of come in and you can tweak things. I, I've never been in on such a ground level where I can kind of say this is, literally the direction I want to push the character in, but I can kind of see what they're working on and, and add my two cents and, and mm. make tweaks. But uh, they're the architects uh, for, for the major arcs. Okay. And uh, do you check in with the, the comics still, or is that ever, is that ever something that... that, that... Um, not really. I mean, I, I we, we do, do a lot of reading of those things when you first get the role, because you're trying to anticipate mm. what the characters are expecting. But, but now, you know, 
he's become mine. He's, he's something that I kind of, at least the film incarnation of him, you know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of different comic book versions of him, you know what I mean? Where he yeah. has different tones and different demeanors. So, um, you know, I'm, I've dabbled in those, but in terms of the cinematic universe, mm. that's, that's my take. What has this role meant for you uh, in terms of just your, A, your career and B, your life? Has it, has it, would it be fair to say it's changed your life? Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, professionally it's opened up a lot of doors you know it's it's certainly helped me uh, i wouldn't have been able to direct had i not done these movies and mm. um it's it's put me on a certain level of you know shorter lists with other directors you know when you have overseas awareness that helps you get more opportunities in smaller films since a lot of those films are based on overseas dollars um mm-hmm. Personally, you know, it's it's been it's been a real navigation through you know my own challenges as, as an actor and uh, in the public eye and uh, you know as a man uh, playing a guy like this every day you can't help but bring some of that character home with you so it's it's absolutely changed me. <laughs> so you help people open open doors, yeah. open jars of pickles. That's right, exactly. <laughs> the usual stuff. Do you find that people edge away from you when you're in an elevator just <laughs> in case things kick off? <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, every now every now and then I'll be in a crowded elevator and think about making some little joke, but. Uh, <laughs> No, no. For the most part, people people assume I'm going to be a good guy. I heard an amazing story uh, from last year's Comic Con. Was that a guy went uh, dressed as Captain America, and he basically just got into a lift or an elevator all day long and just rode up and down every time. And every time people got in, he went, you know, before we get started, do you mind if you know, sure, sure. want to get out? Get yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, there's the impact. That's funny. That's it. Imagine if you got in that lift. Imagine the th- what might have, what might have happened. But uh, looking back at. Uh, the films you talked about, the sort of the smaller films that you, you said you, you can help get off the ground. One of them is Snowpiercer, mm-hmm. uh, which still hasn't got a release in the UK. Oh, has it not? It hasn't. Oh, I didn't know that. No, no, no. So I'm, I'm asking you now, can you do something? Can you pull some strings? Can you, Chris Evans, help get Snowpiercer released in the yeah, UK? Yeah, I don't even know how I'd go about doing that. I didn't realize that that seems so crazy. It's, it's, yeah. it's, such, a, it's such a good movie in my opinion. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of the strange uh, vagaries of, of the rice issues, yeah. I think, or something. Sure. For some reason, it has been released in, the, yeah. in this country, but uh, that's a movie that you must be incredibly proud of. As well. Oh yeah, I loved that one. Again, that's you know, again, I think getting that movie was certainly in some part thanks to you know the awareness that Captain America has given me to international directors. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a wonderful experience, and I've I've tried to be picky in between these Marvel movies. You know, you have such big notoriety coming off these films I think in between them you don't want to kind of hurt that you know you want to try and I don't know I just I, if if you look at the first half of my career I made a lot of movies that weren't that great mm-hmm. and uh, and I really want those days to be behind me and uh, so now I'm just uh, I'm picky I'm, I'm very selective I want to make sure that it's I try not to think purely selfishly in terms of whether or not it's going to be experience a good experience for me creatively. I want to make yeah, sure yeah. it's going to be a good product at the end of the day as well. And, and that just takes a lot of different uh, factors. And any plans to direct anything concrete? Uh, no, nothing yet. I'm trying to find the right project. You know, you want to make sure it's the first time around you, 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 you take a job because someone was, was willing to take a risk with me, you know, but uh, second time out, you really want to make sure it's something you connect with. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to be as, as selective as I can. Okay. Your first film was uh, was obviously very intimate, very small, quite low budget. Would you ever take on something like this, like a, like a I, Civil War? I do not know how the Russos, how anyone 
tackles these movies. I can't even imagine them. Like you said, my movie was small budget, 18 day shoot. And I, I thought it was going to consume me. Um, I, I, can't, I can't imagine doing a six month film and then, you know, the, the, the months of prep and the months of post and, oh God, just, just I, I really, it's, it truly is an accomplishment and they yeah. should be incredibly proud because I don't think I could ever do it. What was, what was your first day like as a director? Terrifying. You, you know, yeah. our, our first day of filming was the most expensive day. We were shooting at Grand Central Station. Um, and so it, we, we had to film the opening scene of the movie and the final scene of the movie, which is mm-hmm. tough. You know, it's it's tough to kind of pin down the tone that the, the, the film will take. Every The film is like a living organism. And as you're filming it, it evolves and shifts and grows and moves in unexpected ways. So to try and establish the bookends and try to establish kind of the the perimeter of the movie was uh it was scary and intimidating and uh like i said it was incredibly expensive to film there so we really had to hurry and uh i don't know i was i was very stressed i was stressed the whole time uh so i'd be excited just to try it again in a more calm state of mind (laughs) uh okay so working on that and then getting snowpiercer released that's your next yeah that's right that's what you gotta do all right awesome chris thank you so much for joining us thanks a lot man that was Chris Evans. Of course I knew it was the right guy. <laughs> Comedy. Um, so there we go. That was Chris Evans. He's a, he's a lovely man. He has a lovely beard. Yeah? Yeah. Did you stroke it? I didn't stroke it, no. I didn't stroke it. No, the restraining order doesn't allow it. <laughs> I know. I might have to get it renewed. He got a little bit close. <laughs> okay, so there's only one place to start this week, and that is with uh, Captain America Civil War. There will be, as people have been asking, a spoiler special coming. Oh, yes, it is coming. It's going to be coming on May 9th. It has the Russo brothers, Kevin Feige, and four idiots talking about the movie, which means it should be a belter May 9th. Now, we're going after the US release. We That's what we do with these spoiler specials. That may change, but it's unlikely to change. So the movie opens on May 6th in the States, and we're going to give everyone a chance to see it so we don't inundate people with spoilers. So it's going to be out on May 9th, which is very, very exciting. But the film itself... We, <laughs> you we hated it, didn't you? I hate it. No, I'm kidding. This is, of course, the face-off that has been building a little bit in the background, I guess, of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There is a mission that Captain America is on with that's Chris Evans with Falcon, of course, Anthony Mackie, Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, and Scarlet Witch, Elizabeth Olsen. Something goes wrong, and this heightens calls that have already been, I think, brewing in the background for the Avengers and for all these superpowered, enhanced individuals to be regulated, to be put under the control of a UN committee so they can't just trip around the world sorting out problems as they see fit. Tony Stark, who is increasingly tortured by guilt and I think a sense of his own failings, is all for it. He thinks this is the way that they can sort of atone for the mistakes they've made in the past, that they can win back people's trust, that they can basically put themselves back on the side of right and truth and goodness and all that good stuff. However, Captain America is rather more sceptical, perhaps shaped by the events of the Winter Soldier, which saw him working loyally for S.H.I.E.L.D. and then finding that his loyalty had been severely compromised. So you have a, a sort of a schism set up between the Avengers and an attack a further attack and the reappearance of Bucky, perhaps not coincidentally, seem to bring that to the boil. And so you end up with a situation where the Avengers are split down the middle, six on either side, hmm. and they are going at it hammer and tongs, frankly, and not, not in, in a, a not in a porn parody no. sort of a way. So that's sort of the setup. I don't know how much else plot-wise we should give away. Uh, you know None. already, you've seen None. the trailers, apart from Emma, who doesn't. You know that Spider-Man <laughs> is in it. You know who's in it. You know who, how the sides line up. 
but how it unfolds I think is is not necessarily what you expect going in and I think there are going to be some surprises there for, for even the most keen Marvel watcher including by the way me I wrote the feature on this and I've been told that the Tony and Pepper storyline continued I was told this by Robert Downey Jr. in the context of what he was shooting that week she isn't in it but the story kind of continues. But the story kind of continues. So I think I perhaps misinterpreted the exact wording of what he said. Okay. I assumed you couldn't continue her storyline without her. Right, right, right. But right. maybe you can. So you're retconning the feature of this I'm point. retconning my feature. <laughs> I apologise for that. But unless she turns up in a post-credit sting that we haven't seen yet, because at the time of writing, at the time we're recording this, the film is not out to the public and at least one sting has been held back for the public. So yeah. right now, you know as much as we do. By the time we record the spoiler, we'll be back on track. You know, for certain, is that, is that actually confirmed? That's awesome. It's, it's certainly heavily suggested. I've seen it called confirmation, but I'm not sure it is confirmation yet. Right. Anyway. So, I, for my money, and like I say, I'm in the tank, uh, I thought it was, it was brilliant. I thought the action was unexpected and different and didn't involve a very large thing hovering over a very big city, <laughs> uh, which, is, yeah. which is excellent. There are Again, very large things. There are cities. Not Yeah. 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 But it, it, it keeps kind of throwing new things at you, sometimes literally, and it keeps you guessing about what's going to happen next, and it doesn't always go where you expect, and I think that is a very good thing. Fantastic performances as well, particularly, I have to give him credit, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I'm Team Cap, Chris, but Downey is absolutely fantastic in this film, and, and it's his He's best performance as Tony Stark. Absolutely agree. Right. By um, a country mile. He is fantastic. He's finding new depth and shade in this character uh, sixth time around. Uh, he's now now been playing this this character for what eight years? Yeah, more. Yeah, and um, you thought you'd seen everything Tony Stark had in his his arsenal, and you, you haven't. And it's really really interesting. And I think the movie is absolutely fantastic. It's the first Marvel movie that Empire has given five stars to. I would have personally got five on Avengers, but. Mm-hmm. And maybe a couple of other ones. <laughs> Who am I kidding? All of them. Yeah. Uh, including Iron Man 2 and Incredible Hulk, which are masterpieces. No. Dan Jolin, who wrote the review, isn't here. He will be on the spoiler special to talk about that review and why he declares definitively in his review that this is the best Marvel movie yet. I don't agree with that. I would I would put the Winter Soldier up there as well and the first yeah. Avengers. I don't. Uh, yeah. Uh, the first Avengers, not the first uh, Avenger. Yes. Avengers Assemble, as we call it in this country. Yes, although I I also like the first Avenger. I like the first Avenger a lot, but it's not the best Marvel movie. But yeah, for me, it's Winter Soldier, Guardians, all that sort of stuff. But it's very, 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 very good. And uh, an amazing achievement that, you know, a studio in its 13th go around. I mean, obviously we've talked in the past about how this has never been attempted before. And has now been attempted by other studios. Badly. Badly, that's can we say. And um, the level of emotional complexity... Here, I think Robbie Collin in his Telegraph review said that this movie detonates emotional time bombs you didn't even know existed. It's really well plotted. It's very, very well acted. I think Daniel Bruhl is excellent as the film's nominal bad guy. Uh, And I'm going to say little else about that. You have to go to the spoiler special for that. It's got great action sequences. It's a very, very interesting film because it's very, very serious and very intense. And then Spider-Man turns up. (laughs) <laughs> and it has incredible fun from that moment yeah, on. And yeah. then it goes really serious and intense again. And it walks the tonal tightrope very, very well for me. It's it's just beneath the Winter Soldier for me. It's it's a fantastic, fantastic piece of filmmaking. I'm with Dan actually on this one. I think this would have to be, in my mind, to my mind, the best of the Marvel output. 
it's the only Marvel film where I have no issues whatsoever with the third act. I mean, I've said many times I have issues with the Avengers, Avengers 2, all of them, because I think they have third act problems. This one, I think, has none. And I think there's a, an action sequence that I won't give away in the middle, which is perhaps the greatest thing Marvel have ever done. Yeah, yeah I would agree uh, It's with that. absolutely magnificent. It's an action sequence. It's The action beats are brilliant. The comedy beats are brilliant. Yeah. It's true to the characters. It's so well choreographed, so well planned. It's glorious to watch. I could watch that forever. But even some of the smaller action scenes, that chase scene in that city oh. that I'm not going to get too... That one in that bit and the thing that with the That one stairs. bit with the, with, with, <laughs> yeah. with the motorbike? Yeah. Oh, Dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah that's, oh. a, that's a gif. That's a gif. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that um, is a hell of a gif. But it's amazing. I know a lot of people who were very cynical about this movie beforehand going, why is it called Captain America Civil War? Why is it not Avengers Civil War? Why is it not Iron Man Civil War? And it, the, the truth is, it is absolutely a Captain America movie. Uh, Steve Rogers and Chris Evans yeah. has way more screen time than yeah. anyone else. It's very, very much his story but what this film does so well for me is it balances these characters in a way that gives me complete confidence in the Russos and Marcus McFeely the writers that they can pull off Avengers Infinity War yeah. Part, yeah. parts 1 and 2 which Marcus and McFeely said in an interview this week they have roughly 67 major characters in that not lead characters <laughs> not lead characters but major characters, like, as in characters who will all have something to do and all have some impact on the plot and everyone gets something to do so Sebastian Stan as Bucky gets a really emotional uh, affecting arc he's Sam, great actually Sam, yeah. uh, Sam Wilson Falcon Anthony Mackie's fantastic as well yeah. and you get you get people who come in pinch hitters if you will Hawkeye Spider-Man Paul Rudd as Ant-Man who is fantastic in this film it, he's in it for about five minutes but he just yeah. he steals everything that he can, mm-hmm. he can get his hands on really really good Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow it's so even-handed. And for me, the triumph of this movie is is a movie that beforehand kept asking to choose a side. Whose side do you want? Team Cap or Team Iron Man? Team Cap or Team Iron Man? And the Mark Miller-Steve McNiven Civil War, for me, was a bit more simplistic in his treatment of the characters in that very oh, clearly definitely. Captain America was right and Tony Stark was wrong. Yeah. That's the way that yeah. you know, I read it. This movie, I've seen it a couple of times now. Um, <laughs> this movie, I genuinely don't know who's right at the end of the film. Both men are flawed. Both men are right. Both men are wrong. No one is evil to an extent. But what's interesting about this is it it chips away at at Captain America a little bit. You will come out of this movie thinking, oh, I didn't expect that character to go in quite that direction, I think. And, you know, this spoiler podcast, there's going to be a lot to talk about in that one. There's a lot to get our teeth into. But Emma, you're a massive... Vision fan, you're a massive Marvel fan. Vision. <laughs> the thing is, by this point, it should there should be someone who is seeming to be coasting. They've been playing these characters for so long, but everyone just gives it 100%. As you said, Downey Jr., I think, is astounding in that. But everybody from Cheadle to, you know, Anthony Mackie to Paul Rudd, Daniel Brühl, even Martin Freeman, they all just give it everything. And they're actually, for the first time, to me, felt like there were stakes. I do love these characters very, very much, but... You don't often feel that way. And this time for me, 100%, I actually, you know, I welled up a few times and I was worried that, that things would happen. Maybe they do, but maybe they don't. But I was, I was, I was scared. I was worried. And that's a very rare thing these days in any superhero mm. film. Yeah. So that was very refreshing. And also, I think, you know, to, to carry on with what James was saying, I just couldn't believe that they could pull it off. That was the thing. And like Chris said, now I do believe that the Russos will be able to handle more characters. And But where do they go? How do they get bigger? It's it's actually going to be incredible to see how it how it gets, you know, bigger. The one thing that I think this does do, and much as I hate to pour an entire gallon of gasoline on a bonfire, 
it just shines such a stark, no pun intended, light on Batman versus Superman. Do you know what I mean? It's like whether you like that film or didn't like that film, you compare this to that and it is night and day in terms of yeah. filmmaking ability, in terms of narrative, in terms of emotional punch. I mean, it's just, it really does make Batman versus Superman look quite bad. Marvel just have the formula yeah. nailed. And yeah, I, I would say it's my film of the year. Wow. So far. Apart from Die Hard. <laughs> that came out in the year I was born, James. Oh, don't oh, say God. things like that. You're <laughs> so rude. ridiculous. I hope you've enjoyed Emma's last film. <laughs> <laughs> um, we haven't even mentioned Black Panther. Uh, no, Chadwick Boseman comes in and makes a very, very strong case uh, for that solo film being mm-hmm. one to watch. He, he comes in with instant sort of authority and gravitas yeah. and makes an impact even among all of these established characters. And without, you know, Tom Holland is brilliant as Spidey, but Which he has the advent... <laughs> <laughs> the Spidey one. Uh, he has the advantage of playing Spider-Man, who is a character we are inherently yeah. familiar with and excited about. And I don't think people are generally familiar with Black Panther, but no. I think you will want to be after this and you will go and pick up Absolutely. the new comics yeah. uh, uh, about him. him. I, said yeah. this to, I said this to Feige actually during the interview as well, but uh, my wife is of Nigerian descent. Her, her parents came to this country from Nigeria in the 60s. And she came out of the film and just loving Black Panther, just couldn't stop raving about Black Panther. And uh, she said, it's amazing to me that in 2018, February 2018, we're going to have a major blockbuster that has an African lead. And as Feige says, we'll have a mainly African cast as well. You know, some may argue it's long, long overdue, but it's a wonderful step in the right direction. He's a very, very interesting character. It took me a couple of goes to, to plug into what he's doing with the character and how he fits into the plot. But I'm very, very intrigued to see where that one goes. And uh, we mentioned it before already uh, early in the podcast, but the Tony Stark and Peter Parker scene is, for me, one of the best things the MCU has served up to date. Never mind the big showdown, the big yeah. splash panel stuff. That that scene is as perfectly written a moment as well, you can Well, that's the get. thing. I mean, the, the action scenes in this are astonishing, but they pale next to the dialogue scenes. Those are the ones that, that keep kind of hanging around in your mind a lot of the time. You yeah. know, there was somebody somebody on Twitter last week was sort of saying, Team Cap or Team Iron Man? No, I'm Team Vision in a sweater. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. Vision oh, in a sweater scenes, well. amazing. So just, yeah, more of that, please. Even if you are experiencing some sort of superhero fatigue at this point, check this one out. Because this may refresh you, yeah. I think. It is absolutely fantastic. Five stars for the first time for a Marvel movie. The the, the check must have cleared. No. Um, that's a reference, of course, to the conspiracy theories flying around. That uh, the, the amazing conspiracy theories that people were being bought off by Marvel to give Batman Superman bad reviews. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I mean, I wish if we yeah. got paid to write that review. My right. God, can you imagine? Yeah. So anyway, yes, five stars for Captain America Civil War. And also out this week is Demolition, in which Jake Gyllenhaal's grief-stricken widower demolishes things. Yes, he does. This is the latest from uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, who, of course, has made several kind of Oscar-nominated, Oscar-winning films of late. So I think they probably were hoping for something similar maybe here, mm-hmm. although this is a much weirder film than even his last few. So Dallas ju- Buyers Club being... Dallas Buyers Club being the principal example. Gyllenhaal plays Davis Mitchell, who is an investment banker. He works for his father-in-law, Chris Cooper, and he's in the car with his wife one day out driving. This is the opening scene, so it's not a spoiler. And there is a car crash and she is killed. And he essentially goes off the rails as a result. And you're not quite clear in what way he goes off the rails initially. When he's sitting in the hospital and, you know, she's just been pronounced dead and he is at at his absolute lowest, he tries to get something from a vending machine and it eats his money and doesn't give him his food. So he writes a letter of complaint to the vending machine customer 
complaints department, which is picked up by Naomi Watts' character, Karen. And he becomes sort of, they, they start sort of becoming pen pals. And then, you know, he sort of turns up and visits her. And instead of going, what do you like, you weirdo? She <laughs> forms a, a strange sort of a little friendship with him. And it's kind of, I guess, two sort of slightly damaged souls trying to cling together, I guess, for some kind of support. I would also include in that her son, a teenager, um, who's played by Judah Lewis, who's very, very good indeed. But you're not clear what's going to happen. And I mean, I thought the best part of this film for me when I saw it is I had no idea if he was going to turn out, if he was suddenly going to start psycho killing. I genuinely thought he Mm. was going to go completely, violently crazy. And there is a violence to this, but it's not necessarily that. And the word demolition, the title, may be a clue of how uh, he, he copes with things. But it's it's a bizarre, bizarre film. And it didn't seem to quite know what it wanted to do to yeah. me. Or not to me, but, you know, it didn't seem to me like it knew what, quite what it wanted to do. Yeah, okay. You know, good performances, but it didn't seem to be in service of anything kind of greater, I guess. And I think that was my slight reservation with the film. So we've given this three stars, which I think is probably fair. There's a lot of good stuff in there, but it doesn't sort of amount to as much as I suspect they were going for. A bit like Southpaw, the last film in which Jake Gyllenhaal played a yeah. widower. Yeah. He lashes out with violence after the death of his wife. Yes. So I think if he's trying to recapture his kind of his nightcrawler brilliance, I, I don't think he has yet. Yeah. So he's very good. He's very good, yeah. yeah. But... Yeah, just the film around him doesn't quite hold up for me. Mm. Not quite a demolition job then. But no. At the most, a remodelling. Yes. Three stars. Three stars for Demolition. And uh, also out this week, the last film we're going to talk about in great detail is Son of Saul, another five-star movie. And this movie won the Best Foreign Language Film category at this year's Oscars and is an astonishing debut by the Hungarian director Laszlo Nemes. Helen. Yeah, so this is a Holocaust drama, which is not the most welcome, I think, of genres in that, you know, how much do we really need to see of the worst part of humanity? But at the same time, maybe quite a lot in these times. And this is a story of Auschwitz, set in Auschwitz during the latter days of World War II. But it's seen from the viewpoint, and and really entirely from the viewpoint, of one of the Jewish prisoners who is working with the Nazis. And this was basically a short-term reprieve from the gas chambers. These guys would help move the, the other prisoners along, move them through the undressing rooms, clear up the grisly aftermath, and would therefore be spared for at least some time from the same fate as those that they dealt with. So it's an incredibly murky position morally to be in because on one hand you're sort of doing whatever you need to do to survive and you're saving at least one life your own, but on the other hand you're complicit in everything that is going on. And that is the case with our protagonist, let's say, played by an amazing actor whose name I'm probably about to mispronounce horribly and I apologise, but Gezro Rorig, which is an incredible performance, but he is one of these men and he, he comes across the body of a young boy and he becomes convinced it's his son. We're not clear on whether it actually is or whether it's just a sort of a, a transference, but he, he is determined to give this child a decent burial and, and sort of part of the film is, is a kind of a quest to do that. But this is all happening against the background of the Russians approaching, of the Nazi guards becoming more and more desperate to kind of clear up the camp, to clear all evidence that it ever existed and to, frankly, you know, kill the remaining people in it. So it's a, it's a really tense, tough setting. And while some of what's played out, because they stick very, very close to what Saul is doing and, and they keep the camera on him and what he's seeing, so lots of it is sort of out of focus in the background, but you still know that it's there and you can hear the sounds that suggest what's happening and make it clear what's happening. And it is it is some really tough stuff, but it is an incredible, incredible film. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinarily harrowing, mm. brave and un- uncompromising. 
we've talked before in the podcast, I think, about films that are set during the Holocaust and obviously Schindler's List and how far you should go in portraying the horrors that were perpetrated at the time on screen. And, and this seems like a very, very interesting way to depict those. There's none mm-hmm. of the sentimentality, I thought, for example, that blighted Life is Beautiful. True. This is very, very stark. There's that word again. In its depiction of the offence, it's not an easy set, this film. Five stars, absolutely across the board. Cracking wig. Two five-star films. Two very, very, very different five-star films. <laughs> Completely different five-star yeah. films. And yeah. in between, Demolition. But yeah, Son of Saul. Check it out if you can see it. And also out, we should mention this week, is Special Correspondent, which is the Ricky Gervais, Eric Bana film on Netflix. Uh, starts streaming from tomorrow. There isn't an Empire Review at the time of recording the podcast. There will be by tomorrow. So check the website out to see what we give it. Could be anything. Could be between one and five. I would say maybe chances of it being the third five-star film of the week not so high but we'll see <laughs> we'll see you never know and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast uh, join us next week for more film related fun we'll be joined by two of the stars of Stephen Freer's Florence Foster Jenkins Simon Maxwell Helberg and Hugh John Mungo Grant those are their actual middle names actual middle names strong really strong middle names strong I'd be happy just with Mungo and there may be another guest as well there may be another guest we'll see Keep peeled. Right, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from James. yippee ki Mother Potters. <laughs> it's goodbye from Emma. Damn it. It's a yippee ki podcast listeners. It's... You should have said Rosebud or something. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to stare at pictures of many Tom Hollands until I figure out which one is which. Tom Hollandist. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Bye. <laughs>